Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm a full spoiler podcast where we break down popular film franchises one movie at a time. I mean, I'm Alex. <laughs> this week, we're talking about uh, Harry Potter and the the Chalice of Fire. Really? That's that's the best you got. That's... It was it was a, it was a last second decision. All right. Not, well, I'm not saying it was a good one, but there was a last second decision. All right. Well, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on from that that travesty. Uh, would you Harry would po- prefer Chalice of Water? Would that I have? would prefer you to stop talking. That's what I prefer. <laughs> uh, so Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, the fourth film in this franchise, uh, directed by Mike Newell from 2005. Mm-hmm. It has an 88 percent critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 74 percent audience score. And so just just keeping track of our score so far here, it is the second highest critic score. Uh, Prisoner of Azkaban's the top with 91. Um, and it's actually the lowest of the audience scores so far. Hmm. Which is, yeah. Um, so, if you've listened to previous episodes, you you know that I, I've kind of been building this one up a little bit. Just because I think this is among the better Harry Potter films. Mm-hmm. Um, and dare I say it might be better than Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, we'll, we'll hash it out. Um but yeah, Tyler, what are, what are your thoughts? And then if you want to go from that into best and worst, feel free. There's a lot. There's a lot. There, there, no, no, there, there's a lot to unpack. Um, most of, thing... Mostly because the book's just too dang long. <laughs> well, we'll have to talk about that. The book is fascinating and I love it. And I, I don't know. It, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, I mean, it's too dang long in terms of being adapted. Not not that the book itself right, right. is problematic because it's too. And that's long. something I was that's kind of. Not I, mean. I don't know if I mentioned this on the last one, but I am more. We should we should mention. You're still working your way through Goblet of Fire, right? Slow poke. I'm I'm like a third of the way through. <laughs> I'm uh yeah I'm currently working on finishing Order of the Phoenix, um, and I feel like Order of the Phoenix is actually too long. Goblet of Fire is just incredible in terms of all the different storylines she jk rowling manages to throw in there and i don't really know how it all comes together in a way that's actually coherent and works and and paints a really interesting uh interesting story about uh the the wizarding world i guess and kind of really it's it's a really great piece of world building we'll talk about all that my best thing about the movie is the fact that i feel like we finally get the heart i was looking for and sort of found in the third movie but the especially in the first two movies, I feel like the first two are very much we gotta adapt the books into the movie, so we gotta take the scene from the book page and put it on the movie screen, and then say the words and show the characters doing the things, um, and then maybe have some long drawn out stupid action sequences. And this, I feel, understands a lot more about what makes Hogwarts such an inviting place in the books and what makes it such a magical place, if you will, uh, with. Like, this is the one... And, and the third movie does a better job of having some nice kind of filler scenes, I guess you could call them, but some nice background scenes where we just stop for a second and we just see Harry and Ron and their chums hanging out or stuff yeah. like that. Um, this one is very much like they 
actually we actually focus on the other Weasley siblings, for instance, that are in Hogwarts at the time. So Fred and George and Ginny, and we see a lot more Neville than we have in maybe any of these. Um, I feel like uh, any of the first three, and and we just see Neville char- almost gets like a mini arc. Yeah, and we get we get characters. Not 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 really, but like yeah, it, yeah. like he gets enough scenes where where I get a good feel for his character exactly in a, in a way that that really didn't come across as strongly in the other films yeah. aside from the first one but the the first one just kind of gives us the bare minimum of neville stuff yeah the, then he's then he's i feel like he's a non-character in two and three <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying like the the third movie i i talk about this how it, it it was impressive to me that it really cut the line through what needed to be done to get the plot and the to get the overall feel and atmosphere of the third book yeah this one I think it might even do a better job of that. There's so much left out because it has no choice um, that it... Oh, it makes huge sweeping changes. And I think for the most part, in terms of making a two and a half hour movie that is an adaptation of this book, I think it does a pretty darn good job. Exactly. Um, Because it it knows what to cut. mm -hmm. Like, we don't need all the stuff with the Dursleys at the beginning. We can just have them go to the the World Cup. Um, We'll we'll talk about the, the, the World Cup itself. It's, it's strange yeah. but then it's like let's just cut all the house elf stuff because it's not essential to the plot you know there's just all sorts of just like very mm-hmm. very specific things of just like we can't have that in the movie yep that it, weren't really in the other movies um it feels like we are sort of working with the uh lord of the rings style of efficiency of get the characters working get the plot yep. working um make it into something that is actually a film and not just throwing stuff from the page to the movie Uh, it it, it kind of feels like we're trading off Quorum's like super creative directorial style a little bit but we're gaining back a little bit more character and heart yes not to say that like you said not to say that there's not that in Prisoner of Azkaban it just feels like there's a lot more in this one this one and, and that's something we'll have to talk about is which is the better film um, piece of cinema, uh, but, yeah. uh, and which is a fair argument. I'm, I'm not, not like Quaron's visuals in the third one are incredible, and yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a good movie. But we'll have to talk about that because this well, like one, we said, it, it kind of you know I I think it's a very positive sign to him that pretty much every design choice he came up with has stuck through. Yeah. For the rest of the series, yeah. and he picked up in the third film, mm-hmm. you know. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Ooh, what was I gonna say? Worst thing. Yeah. Um. My worst thing is actually the beginning of the movie. The first. Oh, I don't know. It's like. It's like fifteen or twenty minutes. It's whatever it is. It's shorter than it probably should be. Or it needs to be just completely junked and, and turned into something else. Because um, this is almost something where I feel like you could just skip over a lot of stuff in the same way they did with a lot of the plot. Hear me out. Mm-hmm. So so the movie starts off, Harry has the bad dream of the old man getting right. killed by Voldemort. He, he hears them talking about the plan, wakes up, they immediately go to the port key, they meet Cedric and his father. Cedric jumps out of a tree for some reason. They go to the port key... <laughs> They go to the Quidditch Mike World Newell Cup. Mike Newell has a tree fetish. We've established this. <laughs> or we will. I, I, I suppose we... We've established we this have in established text this. while we watch the yes, movie. Yes, yes. Um, 
<laughs> we'll get there. There is there is an actual logic to what we're talking about here. We're not just crazy. There's, I mean, it's not really, but <laughs> continue. Sure, whatever. Um, and then they go to the Quidditch World Cup. We don't actually see the match, and then the Death Eaters attack. Mm-hmm. What if Harry has the nightmare? Wakes up. He's there the morning of the Quidditch World Cup. Like they're in the tent, and then they just mm-hmm. go off, and we actually get the full Quidditch match. I don't know. No, I think that works. The only problem is the port key. The port key is very specifically, and it's one of those things that J.K. Rowling does sometimes where she sets up a thing early yeah. on that is very clearly going to be used. And sometimes it, it it's almost unfair because sometimes she introduces an idea that doesn't play a huge role in that book, like flu, flu powder. That's just, yeah. that's just a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. They, they go to, um, you know, it's a, it's a little kind of gag. And then flu powder gets used later, like we, we the flu network comes along later. But it's not like a direct, oh, here's the thing. All right, we're going to use this thing in the final act of the movie or whatever. Yeah. Which I like that she doesn't always do yes. that because then it would feel super repetitive and super yes. convenient. Exactly. Uh, Portkey is a fairly convenient thing in terms of that, though, where it's like, oh, they introduced that in the beginning of the fourth of Goblet of Fire and then it immediately pops up. Or not immediately, but it's 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 the major thing in that, that twists the entire story and, and kind of that the story falls on, plot right. device at least, wise. Uh, at the end of the book, right, or end of the movie, and so that you, I do understand why you feel the need to set that up. I almost don't know if you need to. I feel like the audience might just be fine with like, oh, they've got this weird magical cup thing, and it 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 it, it was bewitched, and now it took them to a graveyard. Well, what what if it's like they they you know Cedric and him touch it at the same time, they get teleported. Harry's like, what just happened? Yeah, and then Cedric goes, oh, it's a port key, and then yeah. he he has a short little explanation there. Yeah. You can do something like that where it's like, oh, you don't even have to call it a port key. You can just say, Cedric yeah. can just be like, it must have been enchanted to, or either one of them could say, it must have been enchanted to take us here. Yeah. Um, well, l- let me let me just say, aside from just the Quidditch match not being there, mm-hmm. and it's not just, I need a super elongated action sequence. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not what I'm saying. It just feels weird that we have this build up to this match, and then it's yeah. just completely skipped over. Yeah. Um, I did not have any problems with the pacing at the so, beginning. Well, yeah, that's aside what I was from say, I aside probably, from the match, I should probably come back and actually establish why I don't like the beginning. And it's because the beginning starts to feel like, oh no, we're doing the exact same thing of, oh, we gotta like the exact same thing problem the first two movies did, where it's like we gotta hit every single scene, um, and then we just move on. And so it's like Harry, wait, it's it. I felt like cinematic whiplash, I guess. Um, I'm not sure if that's a term we've used before, but we should have because there have been movies that deserve it more than this. Um, this. But the beginning, it's like, do you bleed? <laughs> the beginning is like, they, yeah, Harry Harry has a dream. You will. We, we get a good amount of time for the dream. It's nice that we throw Barty Crouch in the, uh, in the actual, like, scene conversation with Voldemort and Wormchild. That's kind of an interesting choice. You mean um, Barty Crouch Jr.? Yes, right. Jr. Uh, they, they, they kind of throw him in there, and uh, that's a really interesting, neat addition that might have given too much away in the book. I, I don't know how how it really could have been played in the book correctly. Well, and it, in I, the book, I we have, have a... so much more time to understand what's going on. Yeah. Whereas this, it's like, we need to get this character rolling so that we actually know what's going on. With I don't it. know. I, I have kind of a problem with it. And it's sort of a problem I have with the book as well. In terms mm. of why does Harry not tell Dumbledore about this dream? Especially after his name gets pulled out of the goblet. Yeah. Um... Like, he should immediately go to him and say, Hey, I had this dream. Voldemort's planning to kill me. Um, can you help? Whereas, because in the... Well, at least in the book's defense, 
it's since it's only Wormtail and Voldemort, people that he has seen. I feel sure. like it's not you know it's not that hard a stretch to go. You know, I I was dreaming it like mm-hmm. it's it's not real. Well, the, I'm the just book, imagining these characters. The book too, he kind of like it. forgets part of the dream, right? Like yeah, as yes, he yes, he does. Of, yeah, but. Yeah, and that's not established in the movie. But also just the fact that there's this super specific person that he does not know mm-hmm. that's there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel yeah. I feel like in the movie he should immediately like when when Dumbledore's grabbing him around the collar and he slams him into the trophies and he's like, Did you put your name in the goblet of fire? He should be like, Dude, I had a dream about Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, What? Yeah. Um. And then and then Snape just goes, I knew it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Overall, not my problem with it, at least. Um, bigger issue is that we get that scene. We we spend a while on that scene about kind of, you know, it, we set up kind of the atmosphere and the mood and the fact right. that it's a fairly dark uh, incident. And then... I love how dark this movie is willing to get. Yeah. I love it. Exactly. Um, and, and it's not... I feel like the last one... I mean, it's it, it is a dark movie, but I think it's most more in terms of visuals than the actual story itself. Right. This one is actually a, like a pretty messed up story. Yeah, yeah. Which is, and that's what we'll have to talk about is that the the fourth book and and this movie as well kind of turn the entire franchise on its head. Yeah, and reinvigorate it and and kind of give it a new momentum, a new in, push in a Star Wars: The Last Jedi kind of way. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Where it just subverts your saying. expectations. And we're all excited to see what happens moving forward. <laughs> we bring this up a lot. We're both very like, oh, it's pretty good too. Oh, we're ambivalent about it, about Last Jedi. And yeah. so like, we're not even like, there. there's nothing to read into those statements that we're making. They're just like yeah. weird, sarcastic, like non-things. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> weird, sar- sarcastic, non-things would be a great album name. Anyway, um... I think the Talking Heads. That's their new album. <laughs> that's what, oh yeah. Okay. Uh, so we we have that dream. Harry wakes up. They go to the port key. They meet Cedric and Amos. They go to the uh, wizarding pitch. They go in the tent. They see the tent or like the the, the pitch around the the Quidditch World Cup. Um, they they go to the tent. See the tents. Tent tent school is big. Go to the Quidditch match. Come back from the Quidditch match. Celebrate the Quidditch match. Death Eaters show up. Death Eaters are blowing things up. Somebody shows up and does the dark mark after everything's dead, which I have a problem with. We'll talk about in a second. And then we go to... I forget where we go quite from there. Because from there, it kind of slows down a little bit and settles in. But it's just like that entire thing I mean that is a large chunk of the book I've got the book right here I'm gonna figure it out how, how far how far do we does that take us in the book it's um, at least the first hundred pages so the chapter the Quidditch World Cup oh oh no no, no even better the chapter the Dark Mark ends on page uh 144 yep out of a Oh, what is it like for me? For me, at least, my copy is seven hundred thirty-four pages. So that is, yeah, uh, math. Um, roughly fifteen twenty percent. I don't know about twenty percent. Yeah, and so that's a lot of stuff. And we we hit all the beats technically yeah. in the movie. Twenty percent. Yeah, it's it's over twenty, a little over twenty percent, more or less. 
Um, and we hit all the beats technically in the movie, but we shove all that in there really, really quick. And it's just one after the other. Um, they cut some things. They cut the the they cut the Quidditch World Cup itself. Obviously, they cut Winky um, entirely yeah. from the movie, and so we don't have the stuff with her being scared of heights and like then she goes and then her being Barty Crouch Junior's keeper and all all that stuff. That's not really there. Yeah. Um. However, and this does kind of go back to putting Barty Crouch Junior in the dream. The point of Barty Crouch throwing the dark mark up at the the Quidditch World Cup in the book is that he does that and all the Death Eaters are still going crazy and rampaging or whatever and then everyone they all freak out and leave because they are not actually like ready to see Voldemort again like they're they're just using they're like hey uh, we're rich white people and we're gonna like uh, (laughs) at least the rich white people of the Wizarding World and we're going to uh, lord it around a bit and scare some people because we like to scare people that we think are inferior because we're humans Um, they uh show up and then they freak out and leave because they're not actually like they've they've managed to escape Azkaban they they denounce Voldemort's name all that all that stuff wait so so then why did they randomly just start attacking the wizard, the, the the cup why just cuz it's it's well is this, is this not an event that's happened like have there not been consistent attacks like this since Voldemort disappeared or is no. this like the first one the, the way it's played and I don't know where all it gets like touched on in the book and this is something you would have to establish that's like that's that's another another element you do have to worry about but like, the, idea- the, the way it's played in the movie is that it's a plan Right. Because I think Voldemort in the dream says, "Start gathering my followers" or something to that effect. Right, right. Which like, is I, it's fine. It is, like it. it is part of Barty Crouch Junior.'s plan for them to attack at the cup. Yes, I'm not quite sure why. Yeah. Like what? What does that accomplish? And which then is the what dark I'm saying mark? is that that feels that entire beginning that we just talked about feels bolted on. It feels like they're like, yeah. "Oh, we got to get all the all this there. We got to chuck it in." Um, like if you're gonna do all that at that point, just don't have any of it. What have if Harry you just, wa- What if you just started with, um, we're at the cup, but like it's not from Harry or the Weasleys' perspective, like, and just like we we start in the middle of the match, and then like the the Death Eaters start attacking, yeah, and then they launch the the Dark Mark at the beginning, I mean, and that's just, what, and that's like our cold open. Yeah, that would be good. That'd be good. Um. I was gonna say. I mean, that, I do. I do see how you can. You can definitely do something with that. And then, and then, like we we um, just immediately cut to Harry, Ron, and Hermione on the train. Yep. And they're talking about it because well, Harry hasn't hasn't heard about this yet. That's what I was or gonna something. say. Something because of what you've cut out from the rest of the movie, and maybe as we talk, I'll remember something that's going to change my mind on this. I feel like you could just cut out all of it. I think you could just have Harry has the dream. Voldemort's up to something. He's not sure yeah. what's happening. Kind of, sort of, maybe remembers it. He goes to. He 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 wakes up. Um, either maybe maybe you, you, he wakes up at the burrow, maybe he wakes up at the Dursleys, and then he goes to Hogwarts. I yeah. I feel like you don't need any of that, and I feel like they're keeping it in for the sake of having the thing from the book, because it's kind of a cool spectacle and all that. But I feel like it's all messed up because the problem is that, and, and what I was getting at is that the Death Eaters, when they see the, the so the idea in the book is that they just are kind of like they're drunk. They're 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 all oh, yeah they, that's right they, all... they just get they just get super excited and they're like oh we're just going to destroy everything yeah. why not yeah because they're rich white people and they're just like ah why not let's go let's go mess with some muggles um and then they freak Narcissa, out because they're like, hold my drink I'm gonna levitate <laughs> some muggles 
Oh God! <laughs> what's what's the actor who plays Lucius Malfoy? Oh, uh, Jason Isaacs. Yes, I, I'm just imagining him. He's got he's still got the long, silky, blonde, white hair, but he's just got a trucker hat on. He's wearing overalls. <laughs> <and> he's like <laughs> kind of a five o'clock oh, shadow. Hold my beer, Draco. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's. The problem is that that kind of sets up... The fact that everyone freaks out and leaves when the Dark Mark shows up. It sets yeah. up that it's chaotic. It sets up that there's multiple layers to kind of the villains going on here. Um, and it, it plays more into what happens at the end. Really, all the exposition you need from that is at the end. Um, in a movie form, at least. When you're not trying to kind of continue... Because with the book, obviously, you've got to... Especially a long book, you've got to remind the, the readers more what's going on. You've got to lay down hits, hints right. so that they're going, they're, they're going to feel like they're paying off at the end. Yeah. It's not a big enough big enough thing in the movie that I feel like you could just have it be the Death Eaters show up when Voldemort returns. Voldemort is like, what the heck, you guys? Uh, why did you not go to Azkaban for me? Why did you renounce my name? Yeah. Freaks him out a bit. Well, we move on. Well, it's, it's weird because, you know, the beginning of the sixth movie, funnily enough, has a scene like that where it shows the Death Eaters, they're flying around London. Mm-hmm. And then I think it shows them grabbing Ollivander from his shop. Right. And all this stuff in the book happens like like yeah. it's not directly established um, established by the narrator in the book. Um, so if they, I feel like if they did something, yeah, it's something similar like that. That all that being said, I didn't feel a huge problem with it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's just because of my bias towards this movie. Um, maybe. The only things that really bothered me were the fact that we didn't get the Quidditch match and the fact that it's built up. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's an event. It's like a massive yeah. event. Yeah. And then we just skip it. And we don't yeah. e- we don't even hear the results. Like, we don't even know who wins. Yeah. yeah. I think um, they say something... They have a, a throwaway line about, like, oh, yeah, the Irish are still celebrating or whatever. But um, but then we have Ron talking about how great Crumb is. Yeah. And if, yeah. Like, we don't know that... Well, I guess there is the throwaway line that he's a seeker. But I feel like it's very easy for the general audience to be like, well, what what happened? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's... Also, of, I love how they're making fun of Ron for his obsession with Victor Crumb. And they're like, Victor, I love you. Victor, I too. When we're apart, <laughs> my heartbeats only about. for you. The, the, the Fred and George stuff in this movie is so good. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad they, they beefed him up a bit. Uh, well, I well just one th- one thing that's really been missing from all these movies um, that the first one actually has quite mm-hmm. a bit of the wonderment, yep. Harry being amazed by by magic, and I love the bit where they go in the tent and he's just looking around, stunned at how big <laughs> it is inside, and he just goes, "I love magic." Yep. Perfect. Great. It's good. Perfect. That. <laughs> That almost overrides the problems I have with the, the opening <laughs> act of this movie. I love that moment. Right. Um, but that's... Uh, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I, I Overall, don't, I, it didn't bother me that much. I think a lot I of it's know. unnecessary. I think you could have streamlined it even further beyond what you've already done with the rest of the movie. And for yeah. me, it put me just trying to rewatch this with a, a more critical eye. Uh, probably for the first time, and I don't even know how long. For a while. Um, it, it really made me put me off on the wrong foot with this movie uh at, where at first i was like oh i don't i don't know if this is gonna work i feel like they they're, they're taking the wrong approach to this and then it settles down pretty quickly after that and at that point i'm like okay yeah I, we're i'm back on track but i feel like you could do even more with that you could just wipe out a lot of that my biggest problem is that there's i feel like that 
the way it's currently made still leaves a lot intact of some of the plot lines that don't really play a huge part in the movie, but did in the book. The the, the big thing, the reason I'll go ahead and say um, that I think, I mean, so far I'm I'm like I said I'm almost done with the fifth one on a reread, and this is the first time re- I've reread them in a while. I think the sixth one's going to be my favorite, but so far the fourth is because the fourth is just incredibly impressive in terms of all the different storylines and mysteries that Rowling sort of sets up and pays off and everything. And one of the biggest things of that is that the entire book is dealing with the aftermath and sort of the the broken lives of Voldemort's initial reign, where he... Voldemort's got Death Eaters lying around who escaped Azkaban. There's Death Eaters who went to Azkaban. There's ministry people who went too far. There's there's Mad-Eye Moody who has just gone completely insane and paranoid because of this. There's so many characters in the book that are set up specifically for the purpose of showing you just how messed up uh, Voldemort, or just, just kind of how much Voldemort screwed up the Wizarding World for as long as he was sort of coming to power. Yeah. Um, and then the end of the book is a, ter- a, a immediate term where it's like, by the way, he's back, uh, so so have fun with that. Um, it's, it's brilliant, and it works really, really well. And a lot of that has to do with the Death Eaters. And he, the, I mean, this is where we introduce the concept of the Death Eaters and, and everything and sort of what uh, their role was and what where they are now and, and the fact that he's still got loyal followers. I don't know. I feel like so much of that comes across because the entire plot line has to do with Karkaroff and Barty Crouch Jr. And, uh, of course, Snape even, like, kind of being a, an outside judge on all this happening. and And all of that is set up and I feel like we don't focus... I'm not saying it's a problem that we don't focus enough on that because there's just no time, but I feel like we're it's useless to spend time trying to sort of half-heartedly get us to that point when it doesn't really have an influence on the plot. It's really just a scene to set up the larger and, and kick the larger narrative into motion from in the book because it's really just like, oh, that entire incident has no bearing except for the fact that somebody threw the dark mark up. Um, I don't know. I feel like all of that is could have been streamlined a lot more and, and would have had me enjoying the movie a lot more quickly than the way it's currently set up. So that's my best and worst thing. So before I get into mine, I'll put it to you this way. Harry and Ron's haircuts bothered me more than the opening act of this movie. <laughs> so that's your worst thing, Harry and Ron. And, and that's... It's not my worst <laughs> thing. They've they've got weird mullet things going on. Yeah, and they're British. Like it. It's fine. It's just weird that they both did it at the Unlike same time. Unlike us Australian, in case you can't tell. <laughs> I, I don't know I, I found that very distracting yeah, yeah. for a lot of the movie I'm like why Why do they have those haircuts like I know Harry's supposed to have like really shaggy hair that he can't control but come on yeah um, sure. my best thing um, is going to be the final act uh, pretty much everything from the maze moving forward is I think near perfect yeah um, I had completely forgotten how close to the book they'd stick with that, where they're just like, they got a lot of Voldemort's dialogue, at, maybe not in exactly the same form, but basically yeah. the same thing. They do the entire wand fight. Mm-hmm. Um, they they do the his parents coming back, like all of that stuff. I didn't. I, I thought that it was just like, oh, he shows up and then somehow Harry escapes. I didn't realize just how closely they followed. Him. I was very impressed. I mean, they they spit, they give it time to make it work. Uh, yeah, it's good. Um, 
Well, it's, it's just funny because because I think one of my because I, I didn't come up with a, a true worst thing the last time I came up with a couple of worst things. Um, one of the things I came up with was just my my huge problems with the third act and just how they just dropped way too much detail that needed to be there to help explain what was yes. happening. Um, this one it pretty much addresses everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it even has the, a scene where Dumbledore talks to Harry and he's like, "I'm so yeah. sorry you were put through this, and now everything's gonna suck for a while, but it's <laughs> gonna be okay eventually. Maybe, probably yep. not. We're yep. all gonna die." Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I love the scene at the very end when when the Bobatons and Durmstrang people are leaving, and, and Hermione just goes, "Everything's going to change now, isn't it?" And mm-hmm. then Harry just grabs her hand and says, very honestly, "Yeah." Yep. By the way, the music in this movie is a lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick Doyle, mm-hmm. uh, the man responsible for for my favorite MCU score for Thor. Mm-hmm. He he wins he wins another round. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know probably people that don't pay attention to film scores that much, or or even like maybe not really thinking about the Harry Potter movie film scores outside of like the John Williams stuff, just yeah. the classic stuff that pervades through all the movies. Listen, listen to some of the specific Goblet of Fire tracks. They're, <laughs> they're quite good. Um, Very intense. we'll get, we'll get to the, uh, the Yule ball band. <laughs> Dear God. Uh, one of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite things going off this that I assume was at least partially. Well, I think so. Cause I think I had a, uh, uh, when I was a, a, a wee lad in a band in, yeah. in like middle school or whatever, I had a Harry Potter score uh, sound soundtrack. I played the the old trombone. Yeah, uh, and they there the 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 theme that the the band is playing um, at the maze where they it's I don't even know what it's supposed to be if it's supposed to be like a large. I feel like I've heard it. It, they they might use it for a more orchestral like actual soundtrack score, but the band yeah. is playing it in universe, um, and then they they like trail off when Harry comes back, and it takes them like a good. It's a really great setup in like direction because it takes them like a good fifteen seconds to realize like to stop playing and just sort of like fade off and like yeah. sadly, um, so that so Harry comes back and he's holding Cedric and they're just playing this dun 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 yeah, and every dun, and everybody's dun, cheering. Yeah. You see Amos Diggory and Mr. Weasley like shaking each other's hands, like, "Oh, they did it! They're yeah. back!" Yeah. And meanwhile, you see you see Flora up front, and she slowly realizes what happens, and then she just screams. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's great. I, I love it. I, I love all that stuff so much. This, it, I remember seeing this in the theater, mm-hmm. and getting to the end where Harry's like trapped on that that uh, uh, skeleton. Uh, death pillar thing yeah um while voldemort's getting resurrected mm-hmm. and i just was like how how do you get out of this like i was yep. like for the first time really i was like oh i i i genuinely do not know if harry's gonna make it out of mm-hmm. this i know his move his name is in the title <laughs> and he's got more movies coming but i don't know how he gets out of this i am terrified right yeah. now yeah and then of course ray finds as as voldemort is mm-hmm. is amazing mm-hmm. um Pretty much everything about that scene is perfect. Um, although, okay, you're going to have to help me with this one. <laughs> Expelliarmus, the disarming spell. At first, it just starts off as a thing. It, it, there's not a whole lot of color to it. It just hits someone, and if it doesn't hit their hand with the wand, they go flying, right? right. 
Why is it suddenly red? In the movies, I yeah, because and... because like it's red when when Harry uses it. That like that's the spell he's using, and and of yeah. course Voldemort's doing the death curse. That's because it's a different director than the previous movies. Th- that that I find that obnoxious. I do think um, there is an element of retconning in the books. I feel like I noticed that where yeah. initially it is the the Expelliarmus hits you. You go flying back, and like because of the jolt, I guess you lo- maybe you go limp or whatever. You lose yeah. your wand. Well, and in when, the, I believe when, well, in the well, books, in the in the movie, it's it starts being consistent because yes. when Victor is is bewitched in in the 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 maze and he starts attacking them, mm-hmm. Cedric does Expelliarmus, and Victor goes flying. Right, but then I think there's other examples in the movie. I don't know if it's this movie specifically or if it was in the third one that I'm thinking of where yeah. they use it and then the wand just flicks out of your hand. And I think there's descriptions That's in the next like one. That. Okay. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. But I think there's descriptions of that in the book as well. Yeah. And so it's kind of just like, eh, we, we went a little far with that early on. I don't know. Well, it's just, well, it's just funny because later on they repeat the, you know, Harry and Voldemort's yep. wands uh, crossing the streams, so to speak. Um and it continues to be like red coming out of Harry's wand, and I'm like, and of course they don't have him shouting out Expelliarmus at, mm. at that point, even though they completely don't address the, the <laughs> everything the... to do with the seven the books wand plot. <laughs> yeah, um, well, the pronunciation of the actual spells versus just like being oh, able to think right, it in your right, head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they completely bypass that, and just at a certain point, they're like, "We can just think it. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. Don't whatever. Yeah. Quit thinking, brain. You'll hurt yourself." Um, <laughs> But yeah, that that felt strange to me. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I loved everything about the, the mm-hmm. final act. It's just dark and it's There's... messed up, and Moody is awesome. Both both uh, you know, Brendan Gleeson and uh, David Tennant, yes. um, they're both absolutely incredible. These movies. Um, can... So who's? Yeah. So so remind me again. Alan Rickman. I mean, yeah. Snape is the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher in the sixth movie, right? Because Slugworth comes in and he's the potions master now. Slugworth? Slughorn. Slugworth, Willy Wonka, it's fine. Um, Next we'll be doing the Willy Wonka cinematic (laughs) universe. All Um, two of them. Yeah. uh, No, there's just one. What are you talking about? And it's called... Oh, crap. I don't know which one is which. (laughs) Charlie and the Chocolate. I was going to make a joke about the Tim Burton <laughs> one being right. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so, so let me just, just point this out. First movie, Coral is good. He's, I don't know. I mean, his that actor is good Good for Coral. Yeah. Um, second movie, uh, Kenneth Brenna is amazing. Um, third movie, what's, what's the actor's name? David that Thewlis. you fell in love with. Yes, he's he's amazing. Brendan Gleeson is amazing in this movie. Uh, don't know the woman who plays Umbridge, but I know she's incredible. I'll, I mean, I, I haven't watched that movie in a while, so I'll have to kind of reevaluate, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember her being amazing in that role. I'm pretty sure that was the only role. I don't remember if she was nominated for an Oscar, but I know she was heavily considered, and that was a big deal at the time. Of <laughs> like, ooh, somebody from Harry Potter is getting considered for yeah. Oscar nods. Yeah. Um, obviously, Alan Rickman as Snape in the sixth one is amazing. And so it's just like, and I know they don't. Use Considering him a lot he's of, in all of five minutes of that right, movie, right. yeah. But, but like, it, I don't know how they managed to do that. But they keep getting these like, 
I mean, Alan Rickman's not a one-off, but at least for at least for the first five movies, all these one-off actors or actresses just to play this one specific role, right? All are just amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that happens. It's fascinating. I'm glad it happened, but uh, it's very odd to me. Yeah. Um. So now my worst thing. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the whole subplot of Ron being mad at Harry for. Uh, having his name yes in, in the goblet uh, I I don't like it for a multitude of reasons and you could have handled it ridiculously better mm-hmm. um, basically what it comes down to me is that they basically either should have dropped it or they should have extended how long he stays angry at Harry right. because I kept track of this basically the the first uh Challenge or the first task ends at about the one hour mark, mm-hmm. and then immediately after that, Ron's not angry with him anymore. Right. So it's like he's only mad at him for like twenty twenty five minutes of the movie. Like, yeah. And it works. It, it works more for a book, just because, especially this book, because it's so long and there, there's just a lot of stuff going on. So mm-hmm. you can have more things like that. And of course, it's it's more it's handled better anyway. But I feel like in a movie, for something that's not going to last that long, cut that. Yep. Or, or extend it. Or extend it. We had, had a we had a brain blast going on here I, while we were. <laughs> I had I had this idea, um, and I really want to dissect this uh, mm-hmm. the, the whole thing. Um, so I had the idea of having Ron still s- stay mad at Harry, uh, thinking that he put his name in the goblet of fire without telling him, being jealous of him. Until the end of the second task where Harry saves him. Right. In the lake. Uh, I feel like that you could immediately just like... That just streams light, streamlines it a lot better. Mm-hmm. At the fact that, that Ron it's stays... Emotional. Yeah. Uh, we have a little bit more time to discuss it if we need to. That way we can build it up a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just hate... I hate the scene where Ron reveals that he's angry at Harry. And I hate the scene where they resolve it. Yeah, I hate both of yeah. them. Um, because and and it's funny because last night actually I read the scene in the book where where Ron reveals that he's he's mad at Harry, mm-hmm. and it's actually like a conversation. Like there's escalation to it. At first, Ron's just kind of sheepish about it. He's yeah. just like, Can, "How'd you do it?" Like he he just wants to know, mm-hmm. and Harry keeps like being resistant. He's like, "I didn't do it." And it kind of escalates until Harry eventually snaps at him, and Ron's like, "Oh, okay, we're not friends anymore." You know, there, there's there's a little bit of a build up to it, as opposed to Ron's just immediately upset with him, and then he tells Harry to piss off. Yeah, which is something that's sort of at the heart of the mo- the the book again, where it's so that that's what I was talking about there with with the book really making things completely changing the momentum of the series and making it like kind of refocusing us for the end goal here um for the, so there's the, there's one all the stuff with Voldemort we get a ton of backstory on Voldemort's rise and and how he affected other the wizarding world at large and yeah. then we bring him back and so that's one thing the other thing is the fact that Harry Harry's chosen one antics are getting old to everyone in the universe which yeah. is a really nice touch it i mean there's a reason no one i mean I'm, I'm sure people have there's a reason no one would reasonably accuse harry of being a mary sue and it's because 
even though like you could very much go down that route um, especially if you are the kind uh, we've of already said this is the Star Wars The Last Jedi of exactly. the Harry Potter universe especially if so. you are the kind of idiot who likes to throw around Mary Sue as an accusation even though that doesn't really have a place in today's film uh, writing uh, producing anything like it, it, it's, it's not even sl- we've discussed this to death before it's a stupid term however it can't even like you can't even really make the argument for Harry in this regard and I bring that up to say the fact that this could have very easily turned into Harry's the chosen one it's really cool that he's the chosen one oh he's continuing to be the chosen one and uh, he's winning everybody over and everybody loves him and and you know he's just awesome um, yeah. I love the way the reveal and the way they played in the book because it's immediately like oh everything is not all sunshine and rainbows for Harry just because or like especially because of the fact that he is not or he is the chosen one, things don't go well for him. And, yeah. like, he has relationship problems, and he actually has to struggle with the real world kind of thinks he's insane. And, like, all the stuff with the, the Daily Prophet uh, and Rita Skeeter that, that gets built up on the movie, really, at all. Uh, but in the... Although, the, the the couple of scenes that she gets are, are pretty yes. pretty enjoyable. Yes, exactly. she's, 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 she's pretty much straight off the page from what I... I yeah. remember. I haven't. I haven't really gotten. I think I'm about to get to her first chapter in the book. So yeah. Um, and so all of that really does a good job of turning Harry into. We we are on Harry's side because even though he is the guy who defeated Voldemort and everyone should believe in him. Yeah. No one actually like so many people turned their backs on him because of his fame. And right. because they think that he's unstable and all that stuff. And so that's just a really nice turn that sets us up for the rest of the the series where that never yeah. really goes away. Like, there's always an element until Voldemort straight up, like, reveals himself in, in kind of the, the sixth and seventh books, yeah. into the sixth through the seventh. Uh, that finally drives it home for, for pretty much everyone. Like, before that point, it's still sort of up in the air about whether, like, the fact that the Ministry is completely against him and that sort of thing. Yeah. So that's really well done. Um, but w- when you handle this bronze subplot so badly, that kind of turns into something that drops by the wayside entirely. Again, it's the same thing where it's, I'm not necessarily upset that you lost the nuance of that plot in this movie, but don't try and half-heartedly do it because you feel the need to, you feel obligated to, to, to throw that in there. Yeah. And this plays into my idea that I had after you said you should extend Ron being angry because and it, even the fact that stuff about Rita Skeeter because there's a part where Rita Skeeter did we even mention her by name just now I feel like we were just talking yeah. about how perfect no we did okay okay anyway um, she shows up and starts writing an article about how Harry and Hermione are, are like long lost lovers um, and they have that scene in the movie and it made me realize how much and this kind of even goes into our stuff about the Quidditch World Cup how much does it help the movie it's fine in the book um, more or less. I, I I do actually have a... I think it, it comes a little bit out of nowhere. But if you just completely cut... I, I hate to put it this way, but I think it would honestly work for adapting this book. If you just completely cut all the nuance out of Crumb. If Crumb, he doesn't get... What nuance is there? Yes, he doesn't... He's. We don't even We don't even address the fact that he's a Quidditch player. That's, that's not even a thing in the Harry Potter movie-verse. He doesn't yeah. date Hermione. All that stuff is left. He is... Much like Fleur is the Bobaton's uh, person, champion, Crumb, he's just Durham Strength's champion. That's it. 
And so well, then, well, Fleur's whole character is stripped out of the movie because everything yeah. with her being a Vila or whatever that's that's all yeah. gone. I mean, they keep mo- there's not a whole lot that's done with her outside of that, which is yeah. Basically, what I'm saying is, if you do that, you don't need to worry about the, setting him up in the Quidditch World Cup. You don't need to throw him in there. Um, yeah. And then you just have the subplot be Harry ends up asking Hermione to the Yule Ball because he can't find a date, mm-hmm. and because of that. Hermione's like, and Hermione's like, yeah, sure, I'll go with you, Harry. They're not going as a date. They're going as friends. He just yeah. needed somebody. They yeah. go together. Ron is continually angry about this because uh, he is actually crushing hardcore on Hermione. They get in, it, it brings them all into a big row. Um, yeah. You can still have the stuff about asking her, telling him to ask her first, all that stuff. Um, yeah. And then that all kind of boils to a head, and then finally. He he saves Ron and like it. I don't know. So, somehow you play that maybe into a little more of a character thing at the end, and yeah. or at the end of the, the the second event. Yeah. Um, I feel like that just makes the movie make a lot more sense. Yeah. Well, especially because after this, I don't remember in the books. After this movie, Victor Crumb is gone. So pretty much everything with him and Hermione having a relationship is pointless. Yeah. Um. Like, that doesn't go anywhere. And I also kind of have a problem with that moving forward with Bo Battens and Durmstrang, how, mm-hmm. that like, they're not involved, really, with the rest of the books. I mm-hmm. feel like it would be nice if they there was some connection. Maybe, oh, there's a Horcrux at Durmstrang. We gotta go there and get... I don't know. Something. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, th- those seem like really cool ideas of just exploring other schools as opposed to just going back to Hogwarts. Like, right. if it was a bit, you know, a bit more to, to it. But that's that's... Uh, minor quibble mm-hmm. um but yeah i Orbiler. think the, the way yes the way they handle ron not only damages like ron as a character and we've already established that he's not a very good character in the movies mm-hmm. he's just kind of like they they remove a lot of his nuance and the fact that he's kind of <laughs> and the fact that he's kind of intelligent sometimes and yes. they just make him like an idiot mm-hmm. um a hapless idiot uh who's constantly just jealous of harry uh right. but it also like it drags Hermione down a good bit as well because, like that whole scene where where they're approaching Harry and they're him and Neville are sitting at the lake and like Hermione's delivering messages yeah. from Ron. Hermione would not put up with that BS. Not from Ron. She'd yeah. slap him before she she was yeah. like, okay, I'll deliver a message to Harry. Like that that really bothered me. And then Harry's like, well, you can tell Ronald. And then she snaps at him. I'm not an owl. Mm-hmm. You choose <laughs> to snap at Harry and not Ron. That that whole scene did not... All this stuff did not play very well for me. Um, and, and, yeah, pretty much at, but your whole recommendation, like, I feel like that, yeah. that immediately fixes all of And then you, you set up more of, of the fact that Ron is always sort of suspicious, especially yeah. as it comes to a head in the seventh book, that Hermione actually likes Harry because he's totally crushing hardcore on her. And, I don't know, I feel like that makes it a lot more efficient. I would even not be upset with that make that being the the way it's actually played in the... Uh, book um, yeah because yeah I feel like the crumb stuff kind of comes out but at least it's set up to some extent it's there it, it, it's it's done in a way that you believe it and it makes you kind of care a little more about crumb as a character I don't know it, it, it works to the extent it needs to work it does not really work here that's my point I don't know I read a lot of the Hermione stuff and, and I'm probably reading too much into this her getting into a relationship with crumb feels almost like a, a wish fulfillment type thing mm. 
Or it's like, oh, the 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 really shy, uh, nerdy girl gets to be with the with the big hunk. Like that's, yeah. I don't know. There's there's kind of weird wish fulfillment vibes uh, that I get from Mary that. Sue vibe. That's perhaps? that's not that's not what I said at all because <laughs> this movie is constantly subverting my expectations. Uh, um, I just can't can't get over how many expectations. Just so much. Just all the time. Every every turn. It's too much. It's like a maze. Yep. It's like a hedge maze. Yep. If we, if we got any more uh, subversions of expectations, we'll just be right back with the status quo because it's just turned too many times. <laughs> um, uh, going more with the relationship stuff because we really should get to like the tasks and stuff. Yes. Like there's a there's a lot to cover with mm-hmm. this. Um, I like the Yule Ball stuff quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Aside from number one, the band. Uh, oh, I love the band. Si- oh, I think that's the great. Magic reference. Magic reference, magic reference, the song. Oh, it's 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 fantastic I, it's, because because it's, it's exactly so, the sort okay, of thing okay. that the wizarding I, I the wizarding it. world would love to listen to. <laughs> you know, I, look I at look at what an, we listen to. I love it in an ironic way. How about that? <laughs> I I love it in the sense that I think it's I think it's a perfect. Uh, per, I don't I, don't, I haven't thought that much about it, but I, I love it in the sense that I think it works very well in terms of here's that stupid party song. That gets played at every party, and people love. Well, just the fact that they have Flitwick, and they're like, he's doing a crowd (laughs) surf thing. It's terrible. It's just wait. So what do you like about the Yule Ball? Um, pretty much everything before that. Everything, like everything, like with the actual formal dance and the fact, like. I I really like the setup where the 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 Patil sisters. Mm-hmm. I think in the book they're in separate houses, but in the movie it's just like they're Gryffindor. It's fine. Yeah. Um, how they they they'll just walk by and say hi to Harry at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, and they they set that up a couple times before he turns and he's like, "Wait, can you go with us to the dance?" Yeah, yeah. I like that. And then also the bit Neville, where McGonagall's like, Neville. "Oh yeah, yeah, everything with McGonagall's little and McGonagall <laughs> McGonagall walks up and he's like. Uh, Potter, are you and Miss Patil ready to to dance? And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And she goes, "Oh, all the the victors or, or the the chosen uh, the, the contestants they they have to they they're the first ones to dance." Surely, I told you that. <laughs> no. Oh well, now you know. <laughs> yeah. This movie has a lot of like really legitimately good gags. Yeah. Um. Well, just the whole the whole thing where where McGonagall's telling them about the Yule Ball. That's exactly what I was going to say. Ron has to dance fa- with her. The, the fact that they they have a dance lesson with that her is amazing. That scene is delightful. And then it and transfers it would... into Neville learning to dance. Like, yes. There's yes. so much there that I love. There's a lot There's a lot of good stuff. They do a lot with it. Um, but yeah, everything with, with Neville is great. And, and like when, when Harry has his second nightmare and he just wakes up and Neville walks in, he's like, Harry, I just got in. Me. <laughs> Delightful, absolutely delightful. Especially after we have the excellent scene where Moody's presenting all the curses, yes. and then obviously Neville freaks out. Um, I don't know. Neville Neville gets gets some Neville some gets re- his rewards, respect. and it's or, it's, or it's brilliant to the fact that they they cut out the the house elf stuff. Yeah, and so then in the book, right, Moody gives Neville this this book that is going or that has exactly what Harry needs in order to yes breathe underwater and tells him about the gillyweed but in the mo- and and then Harry never talks up, to Neville Do- yeah that Dobby. ends up not working he gets it from Dobby whereas in the book yeah. or the movie they're just like we'll just have Neville give it yeah, to him yeah they fine. just like all right let's not have the work around if we're going to cut out all the house elves let's yeah. just do Neville and uh, it works really well and the, and the, the little bit with Neville being like I've killed Harry Potter that's yeah. incredible Oh, yeah. it's so good. 
Um, oh, well, I, I, love, I love the moment even before that when he's handing Harry the gillyweed and, and Harry's freaking out. He's like, you're not sure if it's going to work in salt versus fresh water? Why are you telling me this now? Yeah, yeah. And Neville's just like, I just wanted to help. <laughs> <laughs> it's delightful. Um, but getting back to the dancing, the, the thing I really have a problem with, and I feel like there's a good bit cut out of this movie. Um I'm not sure about the extended version that they show mm. on ABC Family, Freeform, whatever. Mm. We've talked about that a couple times. I, I believe there's a scene where Harry's walking outside, and, and like Snape and Karkaroff are, are mm. like there's there's uh, some of the students have snuck into like the carriages outside and they're making out, and then yeah. Snape and Karkaroff are talking while they're they're um, catching those kids, and I think Harry overhears them. I think that's a scene. I could be wrong. Um, so. Hermione walks over and she's like, oh, hot, isn't it? And then she's like, we're going to go get drinks. And then Ron starts bad-mouthing her and, and then she, she storms off. Mm-hmm. Cut two. Seems like it's a little while later. Ron and Hermione are walking together outside of the, the, the Great Hall or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait, Hermione just w- started walking out of there. Why are they back in there like the editing there is very strange and it feels like they continued their argument but it feels like the argument ended why would she have come back to talk to him more i'm not sure about this and then harry just walks in out of nowhere and it's like where where were you Uh it feels like there's stuff cut there could be could be yeah i don't know and then uh, yeah and Finishing off this point, after Harry uh, gets the egg from the dragon and Ron walks in and he's like, oh, you know, that super stupid way I, I had Hermione tell you that, that Hagrid was looking for you. No, 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 no. It was it was really all for me. I uh, we, we didn't have like three different people talking and it's slow, the message yeah, yeah. slowly getting to you. And then Harry's just like, who could have possibly figured that out? <laughs> You're an idiot. Yep. <laughs> and then Ron's like, yeah, I kind of am. And I'm just like, why are you friends? <laughs> why are you friends? Yep. Yeah. I really wanted Hermione to use the Cruciatus curse on Ron <laughs> just then. <laughs> you know, sometimes he just deserves it, you know? <laughs> oh. <laughs> just for a couple seconds, it's fine. So anyway... <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty much my whole beef with with the relationship stuff. I I I don't like how how that stuff's handled. Fortunately, like I said, pretty much after the first hour, that stuff's gone, mm-hmm. and then the movie just is like, oh, oh, we're a good movie now. Yeah. Uh, I I enjoy how focused this movie is. Yeah, because like I said, we're we're. I mean, we we pulled out a couple of instances where they like everything you just talked about and then also going back to the beginning as well where they they leave in stuff that they probably didn't really need to leave in but it feels like they were kind of like well we need this for the movie i guess because we need to do things i have another Um, point let me finish my point i forgot it's back to the relationship stuff let me finish my point Ah! Um, we have too many points we do have a lot of points um it's like we just caught the snitch Uh, but but uh um so I don't know what this reaction you're giving me is. If I could so, do a crickets impression, I would. Okay. Uh, I've lost my point. 
It's focused. Victory. It's focused. <laughs> it's like you just caught the snitch. Anyway, uh, so they... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He did it again, folks. He did it again. Uh, but they, they, for the most part, the movie is about the Triwizard Tournament and Harry being in the Triwizard Tournament. And uh, yes. that's something that I didn't really realize until I watched it, that they, they do a very good job of, like, centering the movie around the three events and making sure that we get from one event to the next in a logical, efficient manner. And it... It's basically like we've got the first we build up to the first event. Uh then we have the Yule Ball stuff. Build up to the second event, build up to the third event. Like it's 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 very clearly paced out around these things. It's not like we have to hit a bunch of plot points and, and in order to do that we've got to do this and this and this and this. And it, like it doesn't feel like we're just doling out scenes. It feels like we have an actual structure here that's built around uh the the core storyline of the book. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, I I completely agree with that. Um, the last point I wanted to make um, about the the Ron stuff was that uh, I believe in the the chapter I'm about to start, Hermione and Harry immediately start talking about why Ron isn't mad with him, mm-hmm. and then she goes, "Isn't it obvious? He's jealous." Mm-hmm. And they they actually talk about it. It's a discussion. Mm-hmm. It's not just Ron's just mad at him for nebulous reasons that you can try and figure out if you want to yeah. even though why would you want to he's just an idiot yeah. um that's something that they really need to take their time with especially because the characterization of ron is not that great in these movies yep i guess that's that's sort of my my final point on that um, no, agreed. um so there's there's a couple of weird things that i wanted to discuss um and we really should get into the actual tasks and, and how they work as action scenes themselves. Um, but there's a couple of weird moments that I, that I noticed while watching this one where I'm like, oh, wait, that doesn't pay off at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the big one that sticks out for me just thinking about it is Karkaroff when he just kind of walks into the room with the goblet yeah. at night. And he's like, and he looks around like, oh, nobody's here. And then he closes the door. My guess is... He also writes Crumb's name in just to make sure he gets picked. Mm-hmm. But it's clearly supposed to be a red herring of like, oh, yeah, yeah. maybe he put Harry's name in the go. It shouldn't be there. Yep. That's just something that should be cut. Mm-hmm. That's that's just way too confusing and it doesn't actually matter. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, there, there were a couple of moments like that. The, the biggest ones were that, that edit at the Yule Ball like I was talking about and then that. Um. I don't know. We we can keep talking and see if, if I I remember any others, but those okay. are the biggest ones. Oh, um, in the movie they don't establish that the the Triwizard Tournament has not happened in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just kind of I, like we have chosen or we have been chosen to host it. And it's like, well, there's three schools. What how, what's the process? Like, I you... kind of find that a huge coincidence in the <laughs> book, like a mat like. Oh, we need a plot for this one. Like, the, if it were just every five years or so, we have it at one of yeah. the schools. Every just ten have... years. Make it a special so, so, Something like that. Everyone's yeah. gone by the time the next one starts. Yeah. No, I and I get, I get it from her Or from every Rowling's every seven years so that the, you know, yeah. every it's a cycle of students or whatever. Every yeah. eight, eight years, I guess. I get it from her perspective of like I got to build this up to be the most dangerous thing ever, and it does play. So it into... hasn't happened. So it hasn't happened in a while yeah. because people get killed. So they've been trying to bring it back. But I think 
it just in the stack of here's the one event Harry must face in his first year. Here's the one event like yeah. it's 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 too clean cut. Well, and that's and what I was going to say. It does convenient. kind of play into the fact that, and I I think it's very deliberate that it's oh. Here's the in the same way that it's like oh Harry's a seeker and seekers are very good at winning Quidditch games and they get a very special role and oh look yeah. get it Harry's the chosen one it very much plays into the same thing I was talking about I think where it's a subversion of your expectations uh, where we set up the tournament in the sense of oh look it is the chosen one game to end all chosen one games and look Harry didn't even get picked but he got in anyway isn't that crazy and then to turn it all on its head and be like oh this is all just like this horrible machination of yeah. where he completely played into the, the, the primary villain of the series' his, uh, hands and like uh, actually helped him come back because he was in this thing and like it, it, it's very deliberate in that regard I feel like in that it's like oh you think the danger like we play it up as like oh the danger it's it's because the Triwizard Tournament is very dangerous and it's like ah none of that actually matters you know Harry was never going to get beaten by any of this the real problem is that Voldemort's back and yeah. and so that's and I think overall that comes across to some extent in the movie they embellish all the events a little bit not all the right. events really really just the, the first one is the one that's the most like expanded um but yeah it's 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 convenient it's a bit of a coinky dink something yeah. definitely just something to kind of have a story to build around yeah that uh i, I don't know how how well yeah. that sits with me and that's that's kind of a positive to the movie that they don't flat out say yeah. it's been a while so, like like I, and I, I didn't remember this until rereading the book this time. I, I thought – I did think it was a regularly scheduled mm-hmm. thing that, where it happened like every X amount of years. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a disappointment. <laughs> F minus. F minus. And the movie gets an A plus because it fixed that one <laughs> thing. And by that I mean it didn't address it so it's fine. <laughs> Because it subverted my expectations. <laughs> uh, I love it. Continue. Um, Alright, there's a, there's a couple more things I want to address. So I, I keep mentioning the actual tasks themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Cedric, I think we should talk about. Mm-hmm. And then Cho. And also, Trees. Also trees. Good catch. Also, I have one last logic. I have one last logic question. All right. So, so after he's got the egg, um, he's like, I don't know what to do with it. And because he helped Cedric out by letting him know that it, the first task was dragons, mm-hmm. Cedric cryptically tells him to go to the prefect bathroom mm-hmm. um, with the egg. I don't know why Cedric's being cryptic about it since Harry was just flat out like, it's dragons. Um, but anyway... Uh, Maybe Cedric's it, just sort of dumb. I don't know. I mean, he's kind of dumb. Um, <laughs> at least the way he's portrayed in in this this movie. I, I well, he does the same thing in the book where he's he's like, "Hey, you should go take that egg and mull it over." Oh, I, so, yeah, I, yeah. I, so maybe being cryptic. Harry was flat. He was straightforward. You know, uh, he was like, "It's dragons." Cryptic Cedric. That's what they called him in his uh, in his in his younger days before he died. <laughs> <laughs> then they called him dead Cedric <laughs> <laughs> or dead Diggory you know either one um, Cedric quote unquote dead Diggory <laughs> it's set on a tombstone <laughs> but anyways 
Is there a logic in the book about why it's specifically the prefect bathroom? Because that's not He's, addressed in the, the the logic in the book is that it, the 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 pre he'll be he won't be bothered in the prefect's bathroom. So, okay. So Cedric's it's specifically like Cedric's like, hey, you should go mull it over, or you should mull it over with a hot bath. Here, here's how you get into the prefect's bathroom, so you won't be disturbed there. Okay, and so that yeah, that 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 okay, that that works a lot better. Yes. Like, because in the movie, he's just like, go to the prefect bathroom, it's fine, yeah. and then he just walks away. Yeah. Um. Okay. Also, we have Moaning Myrtle returning for a a kind of funny and creepy cameo. Uh-huh. I uh, love it. I it, it was pretty enjoyable. There's a there's a real sense of of I mean, this is what happens when you you build a good world, right? It's it's by like there's a point when you're reading the book the books um and watching the movies to some extent as well like this is a great example of it with moaning myrtle showing up in, in both uh yeah. there's a point where you've they and this kind of goes back to the fact that rowling sometimes will will set up a thing just to use it in the final act but a yeah. lot of the times she won't just give up on them that thing like port keys continue to be a thing after this point and the same goes for like like i was talking about food powder and, and that sort of thing and and events that there's a quite a few good bits in the fifth book i'm not sure if they come up in the movie but in the fifth book where like harry talks with jenny about being possessed by voldemort in order to uh, reassure his own fears about voldemort and like there's there's stuff like that where it's like oh they're drawing on past experiences and we've we built these past experiences so by the time we we get to a point where it seems like oh hey it would kind of make sense for that to come up right now they do and they they're used and it's 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 not the books in each individual book and or movie does not exist in a vacuum and it's the same sort of sense that you get from once you've like with the the mcu how we we just recently we got the we got infinity war uh, which we're gonna have to review relatively soon here um we got (laughs) getting a thumbs up from the alex it's good stuff but like the slowly sinking terminator two thumbs up exactly perfect um but in Infinity War, we had the Guardians and the Avengers meet for the first time. And so that's that was a really fun thing. And there's a point when you, you've built a world that is kind of fully functioning and running on its own that you get to start doing stuff like that, where it's it's not even a cameo. It's not even like an Easter egg. It's just like, it makes sense for this thing to be here with this thing. And you probably didn't think about them being together at the same time, but now we can do that. And there's no reason not to, and it's going to be more fun that way. And right. so that it's that's always nice. It's it's not quite the the same like did you get the reference to the thing? It's re- it's it's more it's when you get to the point where you can more blatantly just be like this is a world. It the world's going to have stuff. People the, the stuff we talked about is going to come back in different permuta- permutations. We're going to sometimes put them together at the same time. Yeah. yeah. It's a cool thing. It's it's a really nice little bit and I love the fact I mean obviously it'd be sad if they did not get the same actress, but it, I'm glad they did like it, that that feels like something that maybe a, a slightly less well run franchise would have uh, me- messed up on and been like, oh, we'll just cast a new one. You you'll get it. It's fine. Yeah. Considering um, I don't think she shows up after this point in any of the movies, does she? Nope. So it's nice nice to bring her back for a bit. So how do you feel about the the actual action sequences for the tasks themselves? Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was thinking is interesting. Is that the the second task is played roughly the same. Yeah. I mean, there's not a whole lot of, like, making it fancier, uh, yeah. which I appreciate. Like, it's just kind of... I think, if anything, it's cut down a bit. Yeah, yeah. In the it's book, there's a bit more... He just spends most of the hour searching. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
And the third task is actually like maybe cut down even more than that I feel like um, yeah. there, there's he encounters more animals and of course we have the blast-ended scroots uh, set up throughout the fourth book and, and then we finally they, I, I don't know if he sees one or if Cedric I think he, he both sees one but then he gets warned about it by Cedric uh, Cedric's running around after terrified after one and, and uh, the, there's a sphinx sphinx shows up and he has to answer a riddle to the sphinx there's a couple of neat like monster things. We don't need them. I mean, that's that's fine. They cut them out. It's just yeah. a creepy maze. That's that that's all well and good. Um, yeah. The the biggest one is the first test, which I'm kind of talking around here, uh, and the fact that it actually expands out to Hogwarts, and like. That's that's a whole thing. It's a little it's a little much. It's a little. Much. I feel like I should be bothered by it, but I'm not. It is fun. It's just like it's a really cool sequence. And it still like it really... works. Like it works really well. Like like. I feel like a lot of movies, when you have a character, like, hanging off of something, mm-hmm. it's very clearly like, oh, they're just on a green screen. Yeah. There's there's no real mm-hmm. danger there. But for some reason, it, I this mm-hmm. this one sells me hard on it. I, I don't know. Yeah. No. Even, the, even though the flying effects still don't look that great, mm-hmm. um, I think with each movie, they, they slowly get better. Right. Um, but this one is just kind of like he's a blur as he flies by. We don't need it to be too detailed. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, but I, I just love the moment where, where well, first off, when when the the Weasley twins are going, yeah, well done, dragon. <laughs> After they they uh, the dragon hits the uh, the main box yeah. where like Dumbledore and and Rita Skeeter and all of them are. Yeah. That that's hilarious. But even I, I like the little fake out of of oh, is Harry dead? What happened? And then he comes zooming over the thing, and then we get. We get Hermione's reaction, and she's just, like, the most excited she's ever been. Like, she's almost on the verge of tears. Yeah. And I'm like, so human reactions like that are what we need more of in these movies. Yep. Where it's like, oh, these characters actually care about each other. It's not just that we're friends. Mm-hmm. Wait, why are you friends? I was the first one he talked to on the train. <laughs> there's never been enough time for it you reminded me no. of this because of fred and george and, and yeah. cheering about the about the general mayhem um there's a lot more mayhem in hogwarts in the books and uh yeah. it will it will always upset me even if i understand the choice that we didn't get peeves in any of the movies yeah he's just he's just a delight just toppling <laughs> toppling stuff over on people and uh throwing water yeah. balloons at them it's good stuff yeah um and that's that sort of goes back to your point of, of bring, bring it a little more life into the and take it taking good i mean that's just like one scene one extended action scene but instead of like oh it's a really long action scene we get a nice a nice joke from fred and george and we get a great reaction from Hermione. like we we get yeah. actual character bits you, there i i think that's probably the key if you're going to do the super elongated action sequences you need those those extra little moments of humanity hey, from yeah uh yeah all that that stuff's fantastic um and the second sequence is just funny because you know now we're starting to get movies that are big on like oh a lot of this movie's going to take place underwater yeah. like aquaman and then uh i guess avatar 2 is going to be all underwater i'm like fourth harry potter movie did it pretty well are we just going to forget that <laughs> Okay. Oh, oh, it's just me. Okay. Yes, that's correct. All the, 
like everything with the granulas, they're pretty terrifying. Like everything in this movie that is meant to be like scary or intimidating is pretty scary and intimidating. Like like the scene where he first goes out there and there's nothing like when he's going to confront the dragon and he doesn't know where yeah. it is. Yeah. And then suddenly like its tail comes out and like it's terrifying. It's very effective. Well done. And then everything in the maze, just like a foggy maze with a, 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 a mind-controlled killer on the loose. That's mm-hmm. always going to be nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, overall, I'm, I'm I'm very happy with the the action sequences in this, even when they they get a little self-indulgent. Maybe right. um, I'm still happy with them. It, it's not it's not like we were talking about with a uh, Chamber of Secrets, where it's like, <laughs> oh. There's a bludger. Uh, oh, the there's a bludger. Oh, the bludger's coming. No, oh my stop. gosh, there's a bludger. Oh my gosh. Oh, Harry's running down a side hallway. Oh. Is the snake going to get him? Okay, I guess it's not. It's fine. <laughs> there's a basilisk. Oh, the basilisk's coming. Oh, the basilisk's back. Okay, it's coming. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and the third one. The third one doesn't have many, yeah. like, full on action sequences. Like, there's, there's, like, chase scenes and, like, there's the Quidditch scene and stuff. But there's not, like,. People are fighting each other right. that much, if that makes any sense. Um, there's not a whole lot of that in the third one, so I, I that's that's why we're not really talking about that one that much when it comes to like action sequences and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I this one doesn't quite have the style and creativity of the the third one, but I think it more than makes up for it with like like I said, some some of the human moments injected into the action sequences, right? Um, that being said, I think Robert Pattinson is horribly miscast as Cedric Diggory. I never really got that feeling at all. You mentioned that to me beforehand, but I I felt like he was fine. While I was watching, he he comes off to me as just very awkward and uncomfortable most of the time. That's how that's the read I get on him in every single scene. And the and this is just the Cedric that I I'm getting from the book. Yeah. I get that he's a lot more charismatic and like He's the most likable guy at the school. That's yeah. kind of the read I get from him. The Cedric we are presented with in the movie, I don't, I don't, I don't get. I, it. I mean, he's definitely more charismatic in the book. I, I don't really. I, I, didn't I don't think he has any charisma in the. I don't in know. The That's movie. interesting. I, that, like, one watching that, I was like, oh, it's pretty good. All right. I, I felt I, I actually not not that he's like a complete movie. disaster or yeah. anything. Like, he doesn't bother me nearly yeah. as much as what they do with Ron, but I. I just don't think Robert Pattinson's particularly well cast. And it's not just... It's not a thing where I'm like, he's the guy from Twilight, so I must see, hate him. See, it's not that. I would be saying that, but he actually convinced me that he's okay in this role. So I don't. I got no insight here. <laughs> well, I, I've seen movies where I like Kristen Stewart, so I, yeah. I can't... You know, I can't I can't be a hypocrite on mm. this, you know. <laughs> Taylor Lautner, though. Sure. Terrible in everything. <laughs> Did you see Shark Boy and Lava Girl? Of course. Seven times. Oh, I got him. I haven't seen that movie. <laughs> got him. <laughs> All right, so uh, next on Here Come the Sequels, we're going to be reviewing Shark Boy and Lava Girl. You know, if we did the Spy Kids movies, we could throw that in oh, there. Oh, yes. As a Jupiter Ascending type Correct. spinoff thing. We're not doing those. Never. Why not? Just. <laughs> okay. I'm... I leave that to you. That's all, all right. On I'm you. gonna do single single person commentaries of the Spy Kids movies. You do realize that's four movies plus Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Just making sure you know what you're getting into. Can I convince you if we also do Space Jam? <laughs> you're making me think seriously <laughs> about this. <laughs> anyway. Um, trees. Yeah, I, I, Cedric bothers me a little bit, but that's, I, I don't know, that's that's a minor thing. That's not a big deal. Just wanted to bring it up because Robert Pattinson's kind of a, a biggish name now. Yeah. As opposed to back then. Um, trees. Well, I also wanted to talk briefly about Cho Chang as the, the pen falls right, on the ground. Right. Um, I feel like I'm always dropping stuff in these podcasts. <laughs> like, there's always little noises in the background. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, should they have cut Cho from this movie? And I know this is kind of going back to all the relationship stuff. but um, Yeah. I don't know. Because it's like the, mo- the scene, moving forward, the, she doesn't get a whole lot to do. The scene where she talks to Harry, this is kind of a different tact entirely from Crumb, where, where I feel like both relationships are fine, I guess, in the books. Yeah. Crumb and Hermione and Harry and Cho. Um, whereas I think Crumb and Hermione is, is just played in such a way that you can probably just strip it out entirely from the movie. I think yeah. that Cho's... Cho and Harry's like chemistry in that one scene um, where they're they're at the Owlry and, and Harry tries to ask her out. That I find that a lot more heartwarming, and I find myself buying that they do actually kind of have a crush on each other yeah. more than I do in the book. I don't think the book plays it very well, not so much in this movie or in this book, but I feel like especially in Order of the Phoenix, it it's just it it's unnecessary, and I don't like it very much, and I don't think yeah. it's a very well done uh, relationship. Well, I I think the scene where where he tries asking her out is very well done, and it yes, it's it almost reminded me of the the Amazing Spider Man with yep. Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, just like their awkward chemistry, but it really works. Mm-hmm. Um, because just the moment where where Cho's just like, oh, I'm I'm sorry, Harry, but I've I've already agreed to go with someone else. Like the way she delivers that, I think it's all in the actress. I agree. Um, no, that's what I'm saying. She she is so genuine, mm-hmm. like. It really feels like she she feels bad, and she actually would like to go with Harry. Mm-hmm. To tug on the old heartstrings. Yeah, and you got that nice Patrick Doyle score playing <laughs> in the background. Yeah, no, it's I think it's really well done. I'm very curious to see how I feel about them in the fifth movie. You're uh, not going to care. I, I kind of assume so, but they've got you know because because she's upset about Cedric being dead for most of the movie then they kiss once and then she tells on them and then everybody's mad at her and then oh and she's does gone. Cho get that role in the movie uh, what role telling on everyone yeah is that not how it is in the, in the, no, in the book, the book? She, has a, she has a friend who she drags along to all the meetings and then her oh, friend is yeah friend. yeah chose chose the one that rats on all of them because well, cool. I think they say like she has a parent in the ministry who's being like blackmailed or, or some so, being pressured or something to that yeah. effect I'm not gonna like that that'll be fun um well just like the I, I think they have a mistletoe bit under the mirror and it's just really weird because Cedric's picture is on the mirror. Like, they've collected a bunch of pictures for, like, Dumbledore's army. And there's a picture of Cedric while Harry and Cho are making I, out. I'm, I'm just picturing... It's, it's, it's so... It's, the, the romance stuff in these movies is just the worst. I'm going to be so... It really is. I'm going to be so upset if the picture isn't... It's it's like a, a 
a construction paper heart stuck on a white piece of paper, right? And he has Cedric's <laughs> face cut out in a heart. And then there's just really, really tacky, like, Microsoft default font, like, cur- cursive font that says Cedric dead diggery year year birth to year death i I need that i need that to be what it looks like and it's a it's a it's a really terrible picture of robert pattinson from the twilight franchise it's not yeah (laughs) i want this that's fair i understand i'm not gonna say i want it as well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm not gonna indulge you there but i'll say fine (laughs) whatever so trees yeah, yeah, you go ahead and talk about this. this. There's only two scenes, um, at least as far as I'm remembering. There's there's a scene... So, so yeah, when we first were introduced to Cedric, they walk up to the port key, and Cedric drops out of a tree. And I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why he was up there. He may not have been in a tree. He may have just been falling from somewhere. I. He just... he's He drops, and he's there. And it's like, why? We're not going to... We're not going to talk about that. We're not. We're not going to address. We're, we, is there a throwaway well, then, line about? Well, then the weirdest thing is Hermione and Ginny then look at each other like, "Ooh, he's attractive." <laughs> but it's just like it, it's almost like you know how in, in uh, Lord of the Rings they have the gag where where Pippin keeps getting apples dropped yeah, on yeah. him and he looks up like he's confused. I kind of would wish Harry and, and Ron had that look. They just look up and they're like. That would be great if it was like falling from the sky. Well, that would be excellent if Hermione and Ginny look and they're like, "Oh, he's so he's so dreamy." And then and then Ron and Harry look at each other. They're like, "What tree? What?" Anyway, later on. But but is it just like he's a man's man and he was just climbing a tree while he waited? What is the context for that? Like, is it is it like a Tom Cruise Mission Impossible Two type thing where he's just like, "I'm free climbing a, a mountain." Why? Because I'm Tom Cruise and this is Mission Impossible 2. Cedric Tree Climber, dead Diggory. <laughs> um, so then, By the way, I really want to push for our next franchise to be Mission Impossible. We'll just, to, we'll have to think I'm just throwing that, that out there. Put the, put, I see you're trying to get the, the, the users to blackmail me in. Well, just because I think we'll have enough time for uh, the sixth one to have come out on Blu-ray by then. I don't know. I'm not... 100 percent on yeah, that yeah. but we'll see um i'm ho- i'm hoping you're trying to pressure get all the users to pressure us into being like yeah that sounds great instead they they respond for like like one one of like the few the few times people have actually commented on these podcasts somebody responds they're like that the franchise sucks don't talk about it <laughs> um anyway so do la- blade there's <laughs> there's a scene later where two of them are good then the third one's just an abomination. Continue, Tyler. There's a scene later. That's actually a really done scene that that like effectively sort of combines a few different bits and pieces of like different like it covers about three different relationship dynamics in one go. Where it's like Harry dealing with the fact that the rest of Hogwarts thinks he's stupid and doesn't like him uh, with the Potter stinks badges and everything. Yeah, and they do a couple different things, and, and I believe he also talks to like Ron and Hermione in, in some form or fashion. So it's it's all played really well. But Draco drops out of a tree as well the courtyard but it's not like him crab and goyle are just kind of like sitting up in a tree just chilling or you know yeah. something like stupid children would do yeah um he's the only one up there if i recall correctly <laughs> yes. and he just drops down and like crab and goyle are standing around him <laughs> they're not manly like, enough to climb, climb trees not like is, draco what is going on <laughs> Although Moody then turns him into uh, 
a possum or whatever. A ferret, I, yes. a ferret yeah. Or a weasel. Me. I don't know. Um, like and yeah. I, I absolutely love that oh, it's scene. Great. It's great. And, and Professor his, Moody, what are you doing? We, we don't deserve... What's, Teaching. <laughs> what's what's McGonagall's actress name? I'm I'm, I'm blanking. Ah, um, oh, I can't remember her name either. Let me look that what up. Have, what have we done? But yes, like the, there's two very distinct dropping out guy dropping out of a tree to start off a dialogue a scene of dialogue moments in this movie, and I don't know why. Like it's weird because I almost feel like. That's it, a, isn't it clear Mike Newell is fetishizing the grand act that is dropping out of a tree? Another thing. <laughs> Mike Newell has... So I talked about Alfonso Cuaron's bizarre filmography. That was a weird way to pronounce that. Bizarre filmography. Film-ography. Cinemaography of the, the different movies he's directed. And just how it was just... They've just been all over the place in terms of, like, tone and and uh, audience and everything. Maggie Smith. Okay. We don't deserve her. She is incredible. Uh, uh, we don't deserve, like, half this cast. Yeah, she, but, but she specifically is so good. Um, it, like, I don't know. There, there's so many great movies. She She does such a wonderful job from going back and forth between, like, super stern and, like, very concerned. She does yes. an excellent job just... Weaving she, her way through, she those. is McGonagall. Like it's yes, it's perfect casting. No, it? no, it, it it she is one of the. I would say one of the many. Um, like when I'm reading the books, yes. like when I I envision the like, character and the voice, it's it's her. And she's one of the like like so Brendan Gleeson. I I feel like most of the Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers are also nail it. Like in, in yes. terms of casting, like I was talking about earlier. Um, Alan Rickman doesn't really look like Snape is described, but he's so good that and and it's it's still played so well that it's like ah, I don't even care he's amazing and and he yeah. he plays it just like he should from the book like like he he brings the character to life like it's still wonderful. Um, both Dumbledore actors and we probably do need to talk about Michael 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 Gambon Ga- Gambon G- Gambit. Uh, <laughs> Taylor Kitsch. So are we getting Dark Phoenix and and <laughs> New Mutants or not? The internet keeps telling me lies. The problem is um, I don't know which ones are actually true. But yeah, the, I think the two of them are kind. Basically, I'm saying as far as will Channing Tatum get a cameo as Gambit? Yeah, as far as the um, I don't want that. I, I'm you aware. don't want that. Nobody wants that. As far as the long term uh, cast of this universe. I feel like McGonagall, or Maggie Smith as McGonagall, and, um, crap, Hagrid's actor, you know this. Robbie Coltrane. Robbie Coltrane, yes. I feel like both of them are just spot on, and there's not a single, like, thing you can throw against them. Like, Hagrid's wonderful little, uh, love affair with the, the Bo Batten's yeah, lady. Madame like that. I feel like that's an easy thing you could have cut out, but it's just so delightful. I'm I'm I mean, very it, glad that they kept that entire it. scene with at the Yule Ball where they start to da- all dance together is is yeah. beautiful. Um, so yeah. Side note: there, just wanted to, to heap praises upon some of the cast members. Back to Mike Newell, uh, Alfonso Cuaron in 1998, I believe I got the year the year right there. Uh, directed a updated, like like modern day version. By the way, I apologize for the constant creaking. I have a very old chair. I need to get a new one. I apologize. Alfonso Cuarón continue directed a uh, reboot, update thing, modern day thing of Great Expectations, the Charles Dickens novel. 
Um, Mike Newell has also directed an adaptation of Great Expectations, the Charles Dickens novel, in like 2012. I'm very confused. By, like, this should not confuse me as much as it does, but I just don't understand how this happened or who let it happen. Why do we need two uh, two two versions of this within like 15 years? And wh- why are they both directed by Harry Potter directors? Probably the two What's best that? Harry Potter directors. What? What's that? What? Breaking news: Chris Columbus has just <laughs> announced he's making an adaptation of Great Expectations, starring Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. He will be playing Pip, the little boy. I don't know how they're going to pull that off. <laughs> I think they said they were going to rule out CGI enhancements. <laughs> I don't know how I can make that joke go on any longer. <laughs> okay. So, what's your grade for Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire? Um... Well, taking everything into account, uh, I, I think I, I kind of have to give it the same grade as Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, it, it is okay. one of those situations where, like, it's kind of a trade-off between what each one does right and mm-hmm. what we, you know what each one does wrong. Um, that the Ron Hermione stuff really, it, well, the the trio stuff really for, for the first half of the movie really drags the movie down for me. Um, so I'm going to go B plus. I'm going to keep it the same as Prisoner of Azkaban. I do think, just entertainment value-wise, I think overall I enjoy this one more. And I think that might just be because of the plot. Okay. I find the Triwizard Tournament much more compelling. Um, convenient, and then obviously though, with, maybe. And then, yeah, convenient. <laughs> well, the, with the movie, it may not be convenient. You know what I'm saying? Um, but... And, and then everything with Voldemort actually coming back at the end, like, all that stuff, super yep. compelling. And, uh, there's blood. A lot of it. A lot of it. It's like, oh, dear God. I, this is the first one that was PG-13. Hmm. Which is funny, because it came out the same year as Revenge of the Sith, the first PG-13 Star Wars movie. <laughs> just, a, just a weird connection. 2000, 2000, uh, 2005, right? Yes. I'm not going crazy. Yeah, uh, that that was uh, nerd cinema was going through its uh, its angsty preteen years. <laughs> it hadn't quite uh, be- gone full dark. It was just okay. Well, we got Batman Begins, we mm-hmm. got Goblet of Fire, mm-hmm. Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe not angsty preteen. And, and Peter Jackson's King Kong. Well, I can work Fantastic Four into that too because you've got like. A lot of weird naked Angelina Jolie jokes, or some just Galva jokes. They're all the same. Uh, we've discussed more all the actresses in Hollywood. Are the same. You it's fine. sexist. Um, that's correct. Uh, <laughs> Jessica Alba being naked, um, like all all throughout that movie, it's it's all the same. It's all it's all just the, the nerd John nerd movies trying to figure themselves out. Correct. Changes are happening to their bodies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that's the, I think that's, that's the reaction I was going for. <laughs> you know how the third one, the tagline on all the posters and marketing materials was something wicked this way comes? Mm-hmm. That's what the fourth one needed to be. Their bodies are changing. <laughs> 
Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, only in theaters. <laughs> I am also giving this movie a B plus. <laughs> okay. So we're giving it the exact same scores that we gave the Prisoner I'm, I'm of I'm curious. I feel like it's going to peak here. I feel like it's going to peak here, and I think it's going to start going back down, maybe rather drastically. Yeah. Um, um, I'll be curious to see how I feel about the last couple. Um, I know I have problems with 7 Part 2. Yeah. I don't know how many problems I have with 7 Part 1. We'll see. Which one of these do you like the most? Because I, I think, like I said, I think overall I prefer Goblet of Fire, though. Because it's kind of that, that thing we were trying to figure out, like, which one is kind of the better movie. Yeah, I... I don't know. I kind of want to go with Goblet of Fire, too. My my thing is just that, like, it's disappointing that... It's the thing from Inception, the... It's just I'm disappointed that you tried. Um, <laughs> where where yeah. it's just like there was never really going to be a way that could capture everything that I like and love about the book, right? Uh, and so because of that, like I feel like I am maybe at least enjoy watching three a little more because it's there's just so much visually. It's just such an interesting movie, um, right? And there's a lot of there's just a lot of really good stuff in there. I mean, I. I we're obviously in agreement that these are the best two so far. Um, yep. And, you know, this... Like I said, I kind of wish Alfonso Cuaron and Mike Newell just kind of alternated mm-hmm. for the rest of the series um, instead of just having David Yates come on and direct the rest of them. Right. Or at least give us one or the other. Commit him to yeah. seven movies and be like, eh, figure it out. Um, yeah. 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 Their, their styles work overall work pretty well together and are not... As dis- they're both they're both closer to each other than either is to Chris Columbus. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's it's funny because I'm I'm just thinking about like that. That's one of the reasons I brought up Mission Impossible, not just because Fallout's come out around the mm-hmm. time that we're recording, but also just because that the the for the longest time the whole thing about that franchise was they would switch directors every movie. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm just thinking of the drastic shifts in tone and style between different directors. Yeah. Uh, so, like, going from Prisoner of Azkaban to Goblet of Fire is kind of like going from, like, Ghost Protocol to uh, Rogue Nation. Mm-hmm. Where we go from Brad Bird to Christopher McQuarrie, but it's it still feels like it's in the same universe. Yeah. As opposed to, like, the F- Mission Impossible 1 and 2, where it's Brian De Palma pretty subdued noir spy thriller that loses its mind a little at the end mm-hmm. to Mission Impossible 2 like one of the most 90s things ever <laughs> created that came out in the year 2000 <laughs> yeah let's do Mission Impossible let's lock yeah, it in maybe. lock it in what else? What, what else would you want to do instead? I thought, uh, we, we, what we other candidates got, do we, we still have? Got Twilight on deck. Yeah, I don't care. What what <laughs> other real candidates do we have on deck? <laughs> You're the one who pushed for this. Did I? Yes. That wasn't me. That was uh, David Tennant drinking polyjuice oh, potion okay. to look like me. <laughs> um. There's a great little bit I do want to throw out here. Uh, while I try and stall for thinking of an actual answer because I don't want to talk about Mission Impossible 2 uh, where 
They're that gonna... that is something I would seriously consider. If you don't want to do that one, I'll watch it myself <laughs> and talk about it for like half an hour. I'll do that. I'm gonna sit here and, and yell obscenities at you while you uh try and walk, talk your way through this terrible movie. Uh, so that I kind of enjoy. <laughs> terrible. It's movie. a terrible, terrible um, movie, but I kind of enjoy. It. So so there's a great bit I just want to throw out here as kind of a, a last positive note about Goblet of Fire, where um. Harry looks at Moody's trunk that is keeping, or Barty Crouch Jr.'s trunk. Oh, there's a couple. Yeah. There's actually a couple more things I wanted to mention. Um, he he's looking at Barty Crouch's Jr.'s trunk as Barty Crouch as Mad Eye Moody. Um, yeah, where the actual Mad Eye Moody is being held, and the the trunk shakes, and yeah. then uh, he's Moody's like I I don't even or I, I can't even or don't even want to tell you what's in there. You wouldn't believe me. Yeah, and it's a it's an excellent little throwaway line that 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 really plays. There's another bit as well, um, where we set up the pensive, pensive, mm-hmm. eh, uh, with Dumbledore. Uh, it's it's not like Harry is not actually in the scene. It's after the Goblet of Fire, and Dumbledore, McGonagall, Moody, Snape, maybe someone else. I'm not sure if anyone else is there. Uh, are all discussing the fact that Harry is now in the Triwizard Tournament. And I, I think it's a really nice little bit of setup, as as far as that goes, as far as just just giving the audience some exposition that helps get them adjust to this sort of modified version of the plot because they've yeah. changed a few things and it just helps us to to get adjusted more quickly. Um. Anyway, my what another big thing that kind of exemplifies what I really like about the streamlining of this is that they turn the uh, in the book there Harry falls into the pensieve and. Uh, there's three scenes in this trial miniature and magic uh, trial chamber. Yeah, uh, one is Karkaroff being accused, and he um or being there to to strike a deal basically, and he gives up several names. Um, I don't believe he actually gives Barty Crouch Jr.'s name. Yeah, in the book, he I believe I, I forget who he gives that that gets him off. Um. But he gives enough names for them to like to to stay out of Azkaban or whatever. Um, how, I I don't remember exactly how it is, something like that. Uh, and then then it jumps to another one where it's Ludo Bagman, a character who's completely cut from this, which is fine. Uh, and and Ludo like like they're interviewing him as a, a, a because they they thought he was giving secrets to people outside the ministry but it turns out he was kind of just being incompetent and like that, that they have that yeah. scene don't that, that just completely is cut from the movie and that's fine um and then we have the scene well it's it's because they, they give pretty much all of his exposition and everything to barty crouch yes, exactly. senior yeah. so that is like okay that's fine yeah also good. i'm not sure how i feel i i love barty crouch senior like the i don't remember the actor's name mm-hmm. who plays him but like that's pretty much straight out of the book yep. just how he's described as like super uptight and he's like very pristine with how he dresses and even his hair is like so slicked back mm-hmm. in a particular style um and i love how he just freaks out when he sees uh fake mad eye with the lip movement yes the little the the tongue flick or whatever and he's just like oh what are you doing yeah, yeah. like he, he has a massive freak out like he's about to like have a heart attack or something yeah. um harry finding him conveniently in the woods just because yeah. they're walking around in the woods for some reason, that felt odd. Mm-hmm. It's just like we need to see him where he stumbles across his dead body. It's fine. Yeah, moving on. But um, what I was gonna say is the the 
And by that I mean I'm changing my grade after that revelation to an F minus. Correct. Uh, <laughs> we need a better utter trash. We need a better grade to to use as a scapegoat for when we're gonna call something the worst thing ever because we use F minus a lot and we don't actually. We could use Q. We could pull we, it we, from we pull Britain, Britain. Britain's old old rule book. Anyway, um. The scene with Barty Crouch Jr. Barty Crouch Jr. is like panicking and freaking out, and he's with the Lestranges, Lestranges, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he is pleading with his father because he's like, "You're my father, don't do this." Uh, and then Bellatrix is like standing defiant, and like the people he's being accused with are mostly, you know, n- taking their their blows or whatever. Basically, they condense these scenes into one. Karkaroff accuses Barty Crouch Jr. Barty Crouch Jr. is in the, the trial. Why? It doesn't yeah. matter. His father's there. He's just chilling. Um, maybe he's curious about how the trial will go. Because Karkaroff... Or maybe he was worried that Karkaroff was yeah, going exactly. to say and, something. And so Barty Crouch Jr. tries to escape. Uh, Mad-Eye Moody hits him with a, a, a stunning cell or a curse or whatever. They, they yeah. grab him. Um, and then we have, a, we have a scene where he flicks his lips. Or flicks yeah. his, his tongue out on his lips and whatever uh, and set set that up establish that uh, with him looking at his father that's just a nice it's a really nice condensation of everything into one scene Um, like I said we we cut out a lot of maybe some of the nuance and and some of the the larger atmosphere and world building that we get in the book but we don't need that we don't have time for that Uh, so the movie just puts it all together and and that's sort of exemplary of the things that this movie does really well I I wanted to mention that I, I meant to say that earlier yeah. Fair enough. You haven't come up with any more franchises, sir. We'll get to discuss Infinity <laughs> War. Come on. You I mean we'll gonna... do that regardless. I mean, you can throw me a bone and, and sit through Mission Impossible Two if it means you get Infinity War, right? I mean, we're we're doing Infinity War first, right? Not, I know. Okay. <laughs> as long as that's the arrangement, then maybe. <laughs> All right. How how about this? We'll specifically do Mission Impossible One, mm-hmm. then Infinity War, then Two. That way, you get it right before. Hear me out. What if we do Mission Impossible One, Infinity War? Mission Impossible 3, and then we just never do Mission Impossible 2. <sighs> I'm telling you, I, I would I would actually be willing to do something on my own if you did not... If you seriously were going to be that bothered by watching Mission Impossible 2... I'll just go off on my own and do the Spy Kids movies. <laughs> Here come the Spy Kids, dang it. By all means, have at it. <laughs> All right, I think we uh, we're good. We've been getting a lot of a lot of meat out of these Harry Potter episodes. I'm, I'm because those books are too dang long. They're pretty long. They're pretty, but the the mood, like just unpacking everything is is fascinating. Yeah, sort of exhausting, but in a good way. We're not even halfway through. True. Well, we're we're technically halfway through. We got five movies left. We're not halfway. Oh yeah, fantastic! That yeah. <laughs> Why did we redo that? We do Infinity War before that one. <laughs> and you've seen that movie already. I'm the one who doesn't care about Fantastic. Beasts. I mean, I don't. I don't care either. Um, 
It's fine. Oh God. Yeah, we're not we're not halfway yet. True, buddy. True. Just just do the thing. You can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HCGSequels, and you can find us uh, through email at herecomethesequels.gmail.com. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on iTunes and the other thing. <laughs> Did you already say YouTube? YouTube that, that's the <laughs> one. Uh, just by searching Here Come the Sequels. Like and subscribe. Five-star review. Or not. (laughs) (laughs) Did the did the fact that we're only we're not even halfway through this, did that just like completely kill your spirit? Yeah. It's fine. I just forgot about Fantastic Beasts. I as 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 many as many have done before me and many will do again. At least they haven't made a cursed child. Wait, there's another movie after Harry Potter like after those? There's (laughs) there's another one. I've already forgot. There isn't I don't know what's happening anymore. <laughs> All right, I, I pulled I pulled a good old Professor Lockhart, and I just I, I went to a mental hospital. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got anything right, else everybody. To, to cover? I think we're we're all good here. Yeah, we're all good. It's like an hour forty five. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see y'all next time for Order of the Phoenix. And remember, art is subjective. Nothing is real. Good night and good luck. Or not. <laughs>